Have you wondered about living elsewhere in your retirement? Well, we have almost daily. No, it's not a simple decision, especially when two people are involved. Hi, this is Gil and Jean of Retire There, a podcast about retirement destinations. We live in Brooklyn, New York, having grown up and worked in this area of the country. We're hoping to relocate when we're both retired. For us, it's the weather, the chaos, the noise, and the yearning to be near nature and not within three feet of human beings. <laughs> That's right. In February 2020, we embarked on our journey to find that special place. We spent a week in Winter Park, Florida, which is beautiful, but something said it wasn't for us. As we were planning for the next trip, the pandemic arrived. Jean then gave birth. I gave birth? To this podcast. With so many baby boomers retiring, many must be relocating. Why not connect with and learn from them? Here's a little background about us. I'm Asian, born in Brazil, and grew up in Flatbush, Brooklyn. I'm an engineer turned attorney turned podcaster. I recently retired from a university career practicing higher education law. I love the academic environment, but it was time to do something else. I no longer have to set an alarm, drive in BQE traffic, or work with people who don't always share the same principles. Oh, did I just say that? <laughs> you bet I did. I traded all that in to binge crime dramas into the wee hours just a little bit to develop the podcast, to volunteer, practice metalsmithing, tackle our possessions. No regrets so far, Jane. I'm not Asian, and as Gil mentioned, I'm not retired. I'm just plain tired. Born and raised in Long Island, New York, a place I always wanted to leave. I'm a law librarian working in a court who loves his job, but we're retired by the time we select our ideal location. We will be speaking to folks from across the street to across the globe who have moved to the dream venues and more. So please stay tuned. And remember, if you know anyone who has moved anywhere for retirement, let us know. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Today, we'll be chatting with Bill Strickland and Sam Palmer, a married couple who retired to Funchal, Madeira, Portugal, from Birmingham, Alabama. Whoa. I've been there once. It was really hot. <laughs> okay. Madeira is one of two autonomous regions of Portugal, the other being the Azores. It is an archipelago situated off the coast of Africa in the North Atlantic Ocean in a region known as Macaronesia, just under 400 kilometers or 250 miles to the north of the Canary Islands and 520 kilometers or 320 miles west of Morocco. Madeira is geologically located on the African tectonic plate. The archipelago is culturally, economically, and politically European. Its total population was estimated in 2021 at 251 plus thousand people. Funchal, the capital of Madeira, is located on the main island's south coast. Now, Madeira is like Europe's Hawaii. It has a similar climate to the Aloha State, with palm trees, ocean surf crashing on the breezy beaches, and an abundance of plumeria and other botanicals in bloom. The climates were so similar that Madeirans were recruited to immigrate to Hawaii in the late 19th century, where they became interwoven with the local culture and introduced the ukulele, linguica, sold as Portuguese sausage in Hawaii. Forgive my Portuguese, guys. And malasadas, malasadas, a donut-like confection. Mm. I hope you don't eat too many of those. <laughs> so now a little bit about our guest, Jean. 
Bill Strickland was born and raised in Helena, Arkansas, a small Mississippi River town. He graduated from Auburn University in Auburn, Alabama, and immediately went to work for a family-owned textile business based in Alabama. His career developed in sales and marketing, and after 34 years with the same company, he retired in July 2021 at 57 years old. Nice. He considers the most rewarding part of his career to be required international travel, which exposed him to people, ideas, and ways of living that were well beyond the Southern experience. Bill has two adult children. His daughter lives in Paris, France, and son lives in Dallas, Texas. Bill enjoys travel, exploring new foods and cultural differences, getting lost on the cobblestone streets, and hiking in the mountains of Madeira. Sam Palmer was born and raised in Selma, Alabama. He attended Tulane University in New Orleans, Louisiana. Sam spent more than 30 years of his work life as a nonprofit executive in the arts and creative industries, retiring July of 2021. He looks forward to traveling more, cooking unhurriedly, <laughs> filling a sketchbook with doodles and exercising without realizing it. I like that one. Yeah. Bill and Sam have fallen in love with Madeira and Funchal and almost daily ask themselves how they got so lucky finding a little piece of paradise. So guys, welcome to Retire There. We're so happy you joined our show. Big question now. How did you end up in your paradise known as Funchal on the island of Madeira in Portugal, all the way from Alabama? <laughs> oh, yeah. You're dying to hear this. So I will uh, try to give the short story to that because it, it can be quite long. Uh, but it, it started a few years ago, actually before Sam and I met where I was at a place in life where I was thinking, you know, uh, I could live a little bigger. Maybe if I really let my mind go wild, what might that look like? Uh, my kids were both finishing college and I didn't have a lot of uh, responsibilities outside of myself and began to do some research about retiring early and how is early retirement possible. And you come up with these, you know, articles about countries around the world where Americans retire to for lower cost of living and a better quality of life and good health care and those kinds of things. And on those lists, Portugal was oftentimes referenced. And a lot of times it was the number one country on the list. Six or seven of those countries out of the top 10 would be in Central and South America, Portugal, usually in Europe, and then you would have maybe something like Thailand or Vietnam or something mm -hmm. in, in Asia. So Portugal had an appeal specifically to me. I had traveled a lot for work in Europe and with my daughter living in France, I thought I would you know, pursue that more. I would look into Portugal. I began to search largely through Facebook for groups of you know Americans that had made that journey, that had figured out the path and how to do that and began to do a lot of research, both on the, on the, both on the financial side of how do you make that happen, but then also just the practical, what are the steps to getting a visa and to you know, relocating from a residential standpoint. So I was starting to dream about that and research it when Sam and I met and he jokes that within the first few weeks of our meeting, I asked him, you know, are you willing to move to Portugal? <laughs> and, God, what a question. Yeah. And it wasn't a joke. <laughs> <laughs> he thought I was joking, but I was not. <laughs> 
Uh, and so we we talked about it, and it sounded like an adventure. And we had a five year plan, which became a four year plan, which became a three year plan. And we ended up moving after two years of meeting. Then Madeira specifically, just to answer that that question, we traveled the mainland of Portugal, weren't really paying attention to you know the Portuguese islands at all, and we traveled the mainland. We thought Lisbon or Porto would probably be the places that we would land. We considered ourselves uh, city people, urban people, and, and that appealed to us. But after we traveled there, we just found that it was there were bigger cities than we than we really wanted for what we thought our retired life would look like and kind of the quality of, of that. And that got shaped by a visit that we took to the southern part of mainland Portugal, which is an area called the Algarve. And it's very popular for retirees. Mm -hmm. And we went there and it wasn't necessarily our cup of tea. There is a large British uh, community there, speaking of cups of tea. But it was more of a gated <laughs> golf community, which, uh -huh. you know, was wow. was not necessarily our, our thing. Yeah. But what we were struck by was the beauty of the coastline, the power of the ocean, being near the water, the cliffs and the beaches, and just a, a pace of life that was really appealing. So then we began doing research on coastal cities of, of Portugal. You know, what would that look like? As you're online searching for, you know, coastal towns, Portuguese coastal towns, Funchal starts coming up, right? And then we find out it's on this remote island out in the <laughs> Atlantic. And we largely dismissed it for that, you know, for all of those kind of reasons that people maybe assume or think about living on an island, it just literally sounds and is, can be isolating. And there are a lot of ideas of what that looks like. And so we largely dismissed it. But I was a part of a Facebook group of Americans that had relocated to Portugal. It was a group actually of Americans in Atlanta, Georgia, that were all somewhere in the process. A lot of them were still in Atlanta. Some had already moved over. And there was one person joined the group who he and his wife were living here in Madeira. Sam and I had watched some videos about Madeira. So I started a conversation off, you know, on the side with him. And he and I have literally spoken every single day for two years now. He was the biggest ambassador for the island and life here. So it intrigued us. So we actually moved here at the end of September, having never been here. We oh my goodness. and moved to a place that we had never been. We thought our exploration would be much more methodical. Our first exploratory trip was the last week in December of 19, first week of January 20. And we thought this is this is the beginning. We'll be back in the spring of 20, the fall of 20, and we'll really get firsthand experience and kind of that face-to-face -face immersion with people who'd already made the journey and get to experience different communities. And then, of course, COVID hit and our entire... <laughs> process became research-based and YouTube videos and real estate websites. It was a big leap. Yeah. And Sam, since you had not had this kind of seed planted in you years ago, as it seems Bill had from all his travels, how did you react to that question? Uh, well, it was really a fairy tale at the time. It sounded incredible. I knew no one who had ever left life in the United States behind to permanently move away anywhere. And so it was a completely 
foreign concept. I had no idea it was a thing that people actually (laughs) did. Uh As the reality began to set in and the date for departure got closer and we began to kind of unravel life in Birmingham, I think it became a little more difficult for me in terms of a transition than it was for Bill because I didn't have that kind of mental and emotional runway that he Mm -hmm. had had in the decision process. Yeah, I'll bet. I'll bet. Because it's got to be, it's got to be shocking. We've been thinking that. And I think what Gene and I have decided, and I know listeners have been asking, we probably will at this point find a place in the U.S., call it the base, and then travel abroad, maybe three to six to nine months a year. That's what we're saying today, guys, in 2022, because our son is here and we have one child and we kind of like we call each other the three equals. He was home for Mother's Day. I was a wreck because he told Gene he had to come home because it was Mother's Day. And I didn't even know he remembered. <laughs> so before I start crying again. So so I think I, I think that's our our notion at this time. What right. did your family and friends think? Did they think you were insane? Yeah, I think a lot of them <laughs> yeah. thought we were insane. I'll start this time. I'm I'm the youngest of four siblings. So first was you're telling, of course, family. I have a sister 15 years older who's always been little mama. And although she did not say to me, I don't know about this. I don't want you to go. Please, you know, what is this doing to the breaking up the family? I knew all the same that certainly maybe my two oldest siblings were having a little trouble with it at first. But everybody was very encouraging. Certainly, I think friends were very encouraging. Bill's daughter was a wonderful example for us. She left for France at age 22, not knowing a word of French, immersed in the language, immersed in the culture, has made a wonderful life for herself. So she's sort of a hero for us. (laughs) Oh, so she's not there just for a duration for a job or for whatever. She just moved there? She did. She moved moved for love. She actually, a young man who did a study abroad at her university, her junior year, who was, you know, studying and living in Paris, they met. And so at the end of her schooling, she did a study abroad in Paris so she could spend more time with him. And then it, when she graduated, decided to move to Paris to be with him. Oh, wow. uh, So he's French. But he's actually Moroccan. But oh, he was okay. educated okay. in France and had already, you know, was living there permanently. So, oh, okay. uh, but yeah, they're there for the long haul. She's actually working toward her French citizenship, and she's going to have our first grandchild in oh. about three weeks. Oh wow! So, oh wow! Wow! Yeah. So we're going to have another family member in Europe anyway. Oh, so that's wonderful. Congratulations. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. As we process that, you know, this idea of removing ourselves from friends and family. You know, one thing that we realized and we tried to encourage folks with is that in day-to-day life, you know, we were living our lives, they were living their lives. We were staying in touch through digital options, Yeah. but largely we weren't seeing each other. You know, my siblings were out of state. Sam's family was out of state mostly. And even those close by, everyone's kind of doing their thing. And so you get together for special occasions. But other than that, you know, you're not spending a lot of time together. And so... You know, it was our intention to, you know, we'll go back to the States 
probably a couple of times a year. And we are hoping, we're encouraging visitors here. My daughter and her husband have been here. They were here in March. My son's actually, uh, he and his girlfriend are coming this weekend for a week. Okay. They're coming from Dallas. And then Sam's got friends, Birmingham and from growing up that have already got on the calendar for later this year. So, so we're staying connected, you know, things like Zoom, you know, we do family Zoom calls now, which we never did before, right? Right. The other day that we probably stay more in touch now than we did before. Yeah. Yeah, You can have a lot of guests. (laughs) That's quite a place you live in. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's all really psychological, right? Because that's a good point. I haven't seen my siblings in, well, because of COVID, I haven't seen them in about a year and a half to two. Mm -hmm. So what difference does it make? Or Jean's sister lives out on the West Coast and they don't see, yeah. yeah, one of them, they don't see each other often. And that's a long flight, right? How long is the flight from Portugal back to Alabama? A lot of it is, of course, the routing you take. For typically, you're going to go from Funchal, you've got to get a connection, either Lisbon or Paris, London, Frankfurt, someone like that. Mm-hmm. Like my son's coming Dallas, Frankfurt, Frankfurt to Funchal. It's a long flight to Europe. He's probably got a total travel time of 15 hours or something like right. that. Okay. Uh, yeah. And how far are you guys to your airport? I mean, the airport in Funchal, we're a 20 minute drive. Or 15 oh, okay. Time. I mean, of course, the island is small, so you can't right. be too far from anything. And it's the most beautiful air, airport drive you'll ever yeah, experience. Sure. Really? Wow. So it's right on Funchal, so you don't have to like take a ferry to get to no, no, Maine. No. No. And it's an international airport. I mean, it flies direct flights to 30 major European cities. And, and there are some direct flights out of New York now. Occasionally, in, during the winter months, there are direct flights from JFK and out of Boston to Funchal. Oh, wow. nice. And how long's the flight from Funchal to, say, mainland Portugal? Yeah, to Lisbon, which would be the closest, would be about two hours, two hours and 15 uh-huh. minutes, something like that. Okay. Wow. Nice. So tell us how you decided on your living quarters. How did you go about finding it? And what did you find? Is it a house? Is it a rental? And like you, you say, you'd never been there before, right? Before yeah. you moved? Right. 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 Wow. Because we had not been able to be here, we actually started renting Airbnbs. We started out that way. So for the first three months, we rented Airbnbs for one month at a time. And we moved around the city of Fengshal a little bit to not only get to know the different parts of the city, but then also just spending time, you know, traveling the larger part of the island. Because when we came, we didn't know if we want to be in this city or there are a lot of towns on the island. And there's a very diverse geography. So there's a lot of different microclimates that, you know, you could choose. You could be way in the mountains and beautiful mountains, or you can be on the coastline, north coast, south coast of the island are very, very different. So we wanted to explore all of that. We didn't really know where we wanted to be. So we started out in Airbnbs. And then we decided it's time for, you know, we want to settle down a little bit. We want to have a a kitchen and we want, you know, be able to Mm. kind of have a more stable life. So we actually uh, found the apartment that we're in now and signed a one-year lease thinking we knew we wanted to buy. We wanted to buy something, uh, have a permanent home, but we thought we're going to take our time. We're going to rent and we're going to really get to know the island. Uh, And of course, as fate would have it, about three weeks after we signed our one-year lease, we found our dream home. So we uh, really we did. I, I say home. It's a it's a condo, but it really checked all of our boxes for what we you know wanted in a home. And it's in the heart of Fengshan, great area, very walkable area. So we 
we purchased that condo, uh, closed on it in mid-February, decided to do some minor, re- it was brand new property, it never been lived in, but we decided to do some remodeling just to make it more exactly what we wanted. And that work just finished this week. We're planning on moving in the next two or three days. So, Oh my uh, God, congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Can you give us in terms of costs, the Airbnbs, let's let's start with that. What do they run? You know, in a, in, and I would like anywhere, I guess, depending on what you're looking for and what kind of amenities and what kind of condition, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. pretty broad range. I mean, I was seeing Airbnbs going, now these are, these are monthly, you know, rates, yeah. monthly rates anywhere from seven, $800 a month. If you wanted, you could certainly spend two, yeah. three, five, $8,000 yeah. a month. Yeah. Yeah. But we ended up booking because we were like, oh, this is a big adventure and there's going to yeah. be a lot of stress yeah. and we want to be comfortable and we want to be in something with an outdoor space. Yeah. So we yeah. we spent a little bit higher on the budget and we were spending okay. between eighteen hundred and two thousand a month okay. on our Airbnbs. Yeah. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. But they were in the prime part of the city and they were yeah. beautiful and they had outdoor space and that type of thing. Gotcha. And we started with Airbnbs because I was very non-committal about <laughs> being on an island that I had never seen before long term. Sure. When I heard you describe the archipelago and that it is this number of kilometers from Africa and it's this number of <laughs> kilometers from the Canaries. It just took me back to my my early thinking about this is isolated. This, this is one, if I what if I what if there's an emergency back in the States and I've got yeah, to get yeah, home yeah. and that adds an additional two hour flight. Right. So I had right. all of these thoughts going through my head about no, 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 that is that's not going to work for me. I can't commit to that. <laughs> uh-huh. So, and now we bought a home. So you see yeah. where that is. <laughs> <laughs> and you're okay with it, obviously, because you seem settled now. You have no sense that you're on an island. Madeira feels very much like a like a small country. Oh. There are distinct climates and sort of ecosystems of different sorts, different geologies and climates around the island. Different towns have different characters to them. Oh, sounds amazing. This, the city of Funchal has a very sophisticated European feel to it. And so it, there's so much variety here and we feel like so much to explore. You never have a sense of isolation. Mm-hmm. Kind of like Hawaii. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been to the big island in Hawaii yeah. and it reminds me of that a lot. It's not as big as the big yeah. island. Yeah. 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 Uh, but, but it did remind me of that huh. within that one space. There is so much, you know, diversity there. Okay. Sure. Okay. And what about rents? What's the average rent, would you say? Yeah. Yeah, so this apartment that we're in now, and this is probably a little higher than average. Two bedroom, two bath. Yeah, it's a two bedroom, yeah. two bath, dining area, living room, kitchen. And it's it's modern. It was actually, it's in a historic building, but it was remodeled as an Airbnb. And it came fully furnished and the kitchen fully stocked and, you know, linens and everything as if it were Moving ready. Mm. And then they went to long-term leases. We pay 975 euros. So right now that's... That's not, that's about the same, right? Yeah. A little thousand US a month. Wow. That's great. Yeah. And that includes all utilities. That's Wi-Fi, cable, power, you know, you know, water, everything. So about a thousand a month is what we're paying. Oh, a lot know, less expensive, a lot less expensive than Hawaii. Well, and a lot, <laughs> a lot, a lot less so much. So oh much my God. Less. Yeah. We can't even compare that. I was going to say that 
What we have learned pretty quickly is that cost in relation to the U.S. is relative because we came from a state that had, was very low earnings, very low income. Our cost of living and the cost of real estate in Birmingham was fairly equal to Funchal. Uh, and what you get for the money. So if we had any sort of shock, it was shocking that we thought our money would get us a little more than it did. But that would not be the same experience for anyone who came from a major metropolitan area yeah. in the U.S. or who came from the eastern seaboard or California. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it, it yeah. kind of depends on where you're coming from as yeah. to as to what you think about the cost of living here. It's all relative, yeah. right? Yeah. So I'm looking at the, um, I'm looking at my phone right now. The euro today, May 15, 2022, is equivalent to a dollar and four cents in the uh, United right. States. Wow, so we're equal. pretty much equal, which is good for yeah. this conversation. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> all right. So can you talk us through housing prices, how you found your place? And since you didn't know anyone, I take it, any realtors or and so forth, how did you find your place? Yeah. And, and I'll say in terms of comparing, we ended up paying about the same square foot price for our condo here as we, we sold our place for in Birmingham. So okay. it, we actually paid about the same. We had a loft in the urban area of downtown Birmingham, and we bought you know a condo of similar square footage mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. um, so like Sam said, you know there wasn't a lot to be gained there, except that we had a loft that it was a two-story loft. One, you know, half of it was a basement underground, and the other half had one primary window that looked into a parking lot here. Which we, we loved our place. Which we loved our place. Yeah, yeah sounds amazing. I mean, we had an incredible experience there great yeah. neighborhood and neighbors. We love that space. But here we have a similar amount of living space. We have okay. about 1,600 square feet of living space. Oh, but we also have 1,500 square feet of outdoor living space wow. on three levels and overlooking greenery and the ocean and mountains and the city. Oh my Lord. And so for what you get for that in terms of, you know, the environment around you can't really be compared. And then in Funchal, like major cities, is the most expensive real estate on the island. So mm -hmm. there are some beautiful towns the further you get away from Funchal, even 10, 20 miles outside of the city, some beautiful coastal towns where property values you know, are much, much lower. I would also say that Madeira, Funchal, Portugal is no different than what's going on in the rest of the U.S. and that housing is going up. Boom, in the last two years, there's a shortage of housing in the market and costs. You know, locals that are here just cannot believe what people are paying now, you know, for homes. Yeah, for I'll bet. So, I'll bet. So can you so give us a range? Yeah. I don't know that we might say, right? That, well, I mean, in terms of range, yeah. I mean, we have some friends who recently bought a lovely home with an incredible mountain and ocean views in a very small kind of secluded area. And they paid well under 300000 And it's, I don't know, three bedrooms, three baths, oh, loads nice. of space. And then you've got multi-million dollar, very contemporary cliffside homes with infinity pools that, again, would cost two times as or three times as much in Hawaii Mm. as they do here, but they are still, well, I mean, they're, they're certainly expensive. One of those couple, the couple that I mentioned that 
you know, I got to be friends with the husband online and they, they've lived in Madeira for two years now. Mm-hmm. And two years ago, they paid 165000 for a three bedroom apartment with an wow. ocean view. Uh, today, that apartment would probably easily go for three fifty. dollars So okay. that's okay. kind of where the markets, you know, have been. And Madeira, at least what we read and are hearing from others, seems to be getting discovered in a much bigger way mm-hmm. because of COVID and how people began to rethink how they worked and their freedom to work remotely, began to open up ideas. If I can live anywhere mm-hmm. I want to live and work from that, where would that be? And, and mm-hmm. Madeira has a lot of appeal in that. Mm-hmm. So there seems to be a lot of investment in property here, a lot of, of people that are not you know, native to Madeira relocating here. So that's mm-hmm. driving up prices for sure. Sure. And sure. the couple you just mentioned, is there a place in Madeira, in Funchal? It's actually about 15 minutes um, to the east of Funchal in another city uh, called Canisu, okay. near the okay. airport. What would you say the price range for, for housing is in Funchal? I mean, I think now where the market's at, to get something that doesn't need remodel mm-hmm. work, mm-hmm. Um, and this would be an apartment. When you say housing, I'm talking about probably yeah. an apartment. Mm-hmm. Condo, you mean? Yeah, yeah. condo. Uh, you're probably looking at three hundred thousand starting point of three hundred, and that and might con- be a place that you know that's a little outdated, but would be two or three bedrooms and certainly you know livable, functional like it is. So the condo that you guys got, are you in like a complex? Is there a swimming pool? What what is that? It is uh, an eight apartment building. It is less than a year old. No swimming pool. It is on five floors, I think. Mm-hmm. One bedroom, ones, two, and three bedrooms. Beautifully landscaped yard, very modern, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. lots of light, outdoor space, equal in square footage to our indoor That's space. That's amazing. Climate in Madeira. And you re- you made the reference, uh, you know, similarities to Hawaii. It also, because I had a lot of uh, travel experience to San Diego, it reminds me a lot of San Diego in that mm-hmm. it's a mild climate that really doesn't very much year round. And so outdoor space is is as functional as, you know, your living room. I mean, you mm-hmm. can choose to be outside almost all day, every day. And we do that. So. Very nice. Very but nice. Does it get humid? It is very humid. It's very humid, but you don't really get temperatures out of the 70s. Oh, you know, okay. we're from Alabama. We had humid plus 95 yeah. degrees. You know? <laughs> Right. So it's better for you. Yeah. It's much better. Yes, yeah. it's, a, it's a pleasant humidity. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like the weather is wonderful. It it's, really it's is. Spectacular. It's just spectacular. There seems to be throughout the year about a 10 degree shift. The winter time was in the evenings, late at night. It would be mid to upper 50s for a low, mid to upper 60s as highs. Now, as we're going into summer, we're getting lows in the mid 60s, highs in the mid 70s. Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of it. Okay. Um, what about fees? Are there things like HOA amenities? And what are the typical costs for internet, you know, like that? The HOAs, I mean, as Americans and, uh, you know, foreigners that, that live here, expats that we're getting to know, I mean, we all are a little shocked about how inexpensive those things are, mm-hmm. frankly. For our apartment, for the value of it and the size of it, we're only paying 140 eight dollars a month and HOA, wow. fees, which is 
less than half of what we were paying in Birmingham oh, and yeah. Birmingham probably, you know, some of the least expensive HOAs that you're going to pay yeah. in the United States. Right. right, so, right. And, and people talk about hours being the highest they've heard. And it, because it's a small building and, there, you know, there's only eight units and it's brand new. And so I think, you know, there was that sense yeah. of to get a little bit more for it. But we know friends that are paying 50, 60, $70 HOA fees every month. Mm-hmm. You know, property taxes, very low. I think our property tax on our property is going to be about $600 this year or 600 euro this year for the whole year. So no, no other hidden costs really or fees in that things like utilities. uh, We just signed up for our TV and internet for the new place yesterday, their most expensive package, which is one of the bundle, you know, deals. And it was 42 euro a month. And that's right. That's high-speed internet. It's over a hundred channels, movie channels. Uh, You get a phone line in your home, other feature. But anyway, so that's 42. Nice. Our phone plan, we have a Portuguese phone, you know, both have cell phones and we have significant data. We don't ever run out of data, but we can use these phones. The phone plan is is accepted all over Europe. So we can travel in Europe Mm -hmm. and we each pay 13 euro a month for our phone. Oh my God. 13. 13. 13. Right. Friends here that we've made that are Portuguese, you know, they hear the prices that we pay in the U.S. They just cannot <laughs> believe. And now, but you have to understand, of course, for locals, their wages reflect that as well. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah, yes, of course. Yes. Of course. You know, their wages reflect that. So yeah. we're at, we come in at an advantage because, you know, we were able to earn at an American wage rate and then come here and use, you know, our funds for at a much lower cost. So mm-hmm. that's obviously a benefit to relocating like we did for retirement. Right. And what about cost of living for other things like food and goods? I know in Hawaii, because it's an island, they have to import everything and it's so expensive there. What is that the case for Madeira? It, it is the case, Madeira, compared to the mainland for certain things. For cars, for example, we're in the, we're shopping right now for a car. And it's widely kind of accepted that you're going to pay three to four thousand euro more for the same car on the island than if we, you know, went to the mainland. And people do that. People go to Lisbon, find their car and and have it shipped to the island uh, just to, uh. you know, save that. We're probably not going to do that. We're lazy and we don't want to go car shopping in Lisbon. Yeah. But things like that. So definitely furnishings, you know, things that do get imported, say compared to mainland Portugal are going to be more expensive. Food, because the island is, it's, there's a lot of agriculture. They, Mm -hmm. you know, produce a lot of their own food. We get great, fresh, you know, stuff and it's really inexpensive. We love eating out. We eat out all of the time. We are constantly amazed that we can have a beautiful meal, three course, beautiful setting on a cobblestone cafe outside <sighs> and for 12 euro a piece. Yeah. Wow. And if we really want to go all out at night, you can spend, and, we, and this is a bottle of wine, we can spend 40, 50 euro on mm-hmm. a really nice dinner. I mean, mm-hmm. you can spend more than that. There yeah, are mission yeah. restaurants on the island. You can sure. spend considerably mm-hmm. more. But just for our day-to-day living, we always indulge ourselves on meals and we rarely spend more than 25 euro on a, on a meal. And grocery, and we will, of course, when we move into our place, which will be very soon, we will be cooking more at home. And that's when you really save yeah. food items at the grocery store significantly less expensive than if you buy the fresh produce and fruit from that is grown here, which is plentiful. Mm-hmm. You really are saving a lot. Mm-hmm. And, and I will say that, uh, and this is just a figure that 
that we hear referenced a lot and pretty consistently. So I, I, I put value in it, you know, for Americans that have moved to Portugal, and this would be mainland uh, or okay. Madeira, but there's more of this kind of information uh, just because of the numbers of people on the mainland that Americans, once they get settled, you know, you've got startup costs, right? Yeah. You've got to furnish your home and buy sure. cars and those sure. kinds of things. But month to month budgets, most Americans say that they live a very comfortable life. They eat out when they want to eat out. They travel, they do what they want to do for about $3,000 a month. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, on the high end. And that's on yeah, the high yeah. end. Does that include housing? That does. Yeah, uh, that not. include, uh, you know, that would be paying rent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you're paying rent uh, and that you're eating oh, out several amazing. times a week, that is, you know, doing some traveling. I mean, you know, that's travel within Portugal. That's probably not a lot of extensive European, you know, trips, but day-to-day life that it's, it's, Pretty easy to live here for twenty five hundred to three thousand a month. Honestly, I feel like we are funding our retirement based on the money we save on wine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and they have good wine there too, right? They have really great, good. great wine. So cheap! It's so cheap. It's just ridiculous. It's incredible. It's hard. It would be a sin not to drink it. <laughs> We go to the grocery store and huge wine selection, and you can get a great wine for three euro a bottle. It's nothing. Imagine how much we're going to save because we don't drink. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, Gene, you know, there's a medicine that he takes, and so he can't have liquor. So he's always, whenever we go out, it's like, do you have non alcoholic, non alcoholic beer? beer, And people always look at him. And you know, in New York, it's very popular to get that, but they still look at him. And you know, I I can't wait to have beer again. But anyway, (laughs) yeah, I think once we get healthy and we get off meds and we could probably have everything and anything. And I, I just love soda, although there's so many reports now that like diet soda is dangerous for you. I keep thinking to myself, I I just, I grew up on diet soda. I don't drink (laughs) liquor of any kind. I just don't enjoy it. I I don't like the taste of liquor. I know maybe I haven't had anything. Maybe if I get some good whiskey. (laughs) They are really flavorful. We were neither one soda drinkers. My mother would not have soda in the house. So yeah. was, there are some really flavorful sodas here. <laughs> Fruit flavors. The Coke here is delicious and less, <laughs> less sugar. Yeah. No, but I drink only diet soda because I love that flavor. Like, well, like we'll go it's into a weird. restaurant and someone will order, you know, some wine and I'll say, I want a very strong on the rocks diet Coke. And they're like, yeah, yeah, you think you're so funny. So I think we'll be saving a lot in that regard. Well, not really, because it's so, so inexpensive, the wine. But, but what about back to eating? We always hear about Portugal, how they have the, the lunch deal of the day. It's a oh, national. Yeah, for the workers. Do they have that on your island? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's one of those. And, and that was new to us. We didn't know that was a part of the culture. But here in Funchal, we found several little restaurants that we love that just do an amazing meal. You get three courses, you get beautiful breads, and then you get a piece of fish. Or They always have a vegetarian option, a fish option, or a meat option. And it's with vegetables and everything. And then you get dessert and a coffee for 12 euros. But that's an expensive lunch. Yeah, that's an expensive there lunch. Is a, there is a phenomenon here. I don't know if it is all over Portugal or not. I really haven't asked. But that's the snack bar. And snack bars are, they're typically very small interior spaces. Most have a little bit of a, you know exterior patio in some way, shape, or form where you can eat. But if you're inside, you're typically standing at the bar to either eat or have your beer or coffee. And you will see on any given street, typically two or three, 
all over, certainly all over Funchal, but those are really considered sort of workers' breakfast and lunch spots. And you'll get lunch there. Anything from, could be a sandwich, could be an omelet, could be a few special plates of the day from anywhere from maybe three to six euro for a plate full of food. Yeah, a lot. I mean, there was one just down the street. We stopped in one day and I got a beautiful fish with fries and a salad and it was five euro. Yeah. Oh, this satisfies my question because Gene, Gene's <laughs> like, you're boring the audience because I ask this at every show. And that is, <laughs> if I never have to cook again, will I survive healthy? Will I be yeah. able to eat healthily? Yes. And the answer is yes, because I can have fish in a salad yeah. for yeah. three bucks, five bucks. You know, yeah. cool. very cool. So let me ask you, you guys moved well before the age of 65. So the question of insurance comes up. What Sam? you're pointing and people- one, one, one of us one of us moved well before the age of one of us moved a few months before he turned 65 okay 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 so insurance right insurance well i gotta tell you you don't look it boy at no, all. i was like they, they look the same age he didn't say who was old <laughs> well we know we know bill because he gave it right, that's right, right. okay yes, yes. Okay. And I realized later I had that off a year. I retired at 56, not 57. Oh, oh wow. nice. Nice. Anyway. But a baby. Yeah. So there's two issues here. Well, either way, we have to talk about health insurance. And I Mm -hmm. guess the health insurance is so different there than the U.S. Why don't you share with the audience what your experience has been with that? Yeah. So to part of the visa process and then going through your residency process is that you have to show you have a policy for the healthcare system, a private insurance policy. So in Portugal, they have a public system, I would say probably as much as I would understand it like Canada's system. You know, they have a public health care system. Oh, okay. And as residents, we are enrolled in that system. We can use that system. Okay. Um, but Portugal also has a completely, I say completely separate. They have a separate private health care system. And you can pay for that. You can have insurance, private health care insurance. It's different doctors, or I'm sorry, it's different hospitals. Oftentimes, okay. the doctors move back and forth between the public and the private system. But you have private hospitals and clinics. And, and, and from what we understand from locals, the biggest difference there is immediate accessibility. Maybe not unlike other, you know, more uh, national healthcare systems. If you have an elective procedure, you might wait longer to have that done. But if you want to go to the private hospital, you know, you can make an appointment and see a doctor immediately and and do what you need to do. As a part of our visa and residency process, we're required, I believe it's the first two years, to have a private, private, have private insurance, medical insurance. So we have access to the private network of healthcare. Mm -hmm. And our understanding, most Americans keep that. And they keep it because it it more mirrors what they're used to in the U.S. Uh, mm-hmm. Immediate accessibility, mm-hmm. you know, maybe more modern facilities. But again, the doctors are the same in terms of qualifications. We've been so impressed. And that's, and it's not just our experience. I mean, we hear this from other Americans all the time. So impressed with the healthcare system here. I mean, we've used the system now some. Everything as simple as getting prescriptions filled to, you know, having physical checkups. And I saw, had to see a dermatologist recently. I mean, everything we've been engaged with, we've just been very, very impressed. Mm -hmm. By the way, we should tell you what the monthly cost of our private 
healthcare yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. So we we chose the premium package, you know, which was virtually no, you know, deductibles and and we're paying for our, you know, age. We're paying about three ten a month, three hundred and ten a month, uh, okay. three hundred and ten euro a month as a couple. But that's an expensive here. That is considered, you know, it's a Cadillac. Uh, that's kind of the Cadillac <laughs> of, <laughs> of healthcare uh, via of insurance. Okay. Yeah. You can go on either the private or the government. That's right. Yes. That's okay. right. And are there like urgy cares? Is there anything that something all of a sudden happens and you can't get to your doctor? There, I think it is more of the, it's an emergency room service. Oh, okay. Okay. They don't, yeah. they don't have kind of the dock in the box. Yeah. Doc, mm-hmm. doc in the box facilities mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that how, we are accustomed to. How are the hospitals on the island? Well, from what we've not had to use the hospital in terms yeah, of, yeah. you know, any kind of stay or anything. We hear consistently that, you know, the equipment is, you know, all the equipment they use in the hospital is, is modern and, and the doctors are experts and provide in a level that you would expect uh, in the U.S. Mm-hmm. I do know that here in Fengshal, the main hospital, there are multiple hospitals, but the main hospital is fairly aged, but there is a giant new hospital being built now. So there's a, a beautiful new new facility that's that's under construction. Wow. Nice time to move there. Yeah. Not, right, not right. that, you know, not that that but that's important. <laughs> No, it is. It is. Yeah. Of course, yeah. one of the things that we explored healthcare in general. Yeah, for sure. It, it's interesting when you, if you participate in the driver's license exchange here, which we've done to turn in our American license and get a Portuguese driver's license, you're required to have physical. And what we had heard was the physical is more or less a five minute perfunctory interview with a physician, maybe, you know, blood pressure, a few questions, a questionnaire, and you're done. Or the physician we saw, we had back-to-back appointments, spent probably 30 to 40 minutes with each of us, did a full history, did a really kind of a full workup, gave us uh, follow-throughs to see other physicians to have some work done because of family histories and age. Nice. It was it was very thorough and really impressive. Yeah. Yeah. The way that was handled for us. And that was at the public hospital. Oh. And we each paid 12 euro for that. Oh, wow. And that wasn't filed with insurance. You know, that was just right. out of yeah. pocket. Yeah. 12 right. euro each. Right. And the most of the doctors speak English? Yes. Very good English. That's been our experience that the within the healthcare industry, we, we've not seen any, we've not had any real language barriers. Okay. And how about in general, the people on the island, a lot of them speak English or not? They do. Madeira is a, their primary economy is tourism. So, oh, you know, you've got, it's mm-hmm. a huge uh, destination, vacation destination spot for mm-hmm. British. German. Yeah, and German. French. And French, Scandinavian, uh, all over Europe. But there is a lot of English spoken here. So particularly in Funchal, you know, we get along fine with English. And, and in most of the functions, you know, occasionally like we had a delivery to our new place and furniture was delivered a few days ago. The, the delivery guy didn't speak English. You know, he's calling yeah, to yeah. try mm-hmm. to say I'm, I'm approaching sure, mm-hmm. sure. and we're kind of struggling with each other on the phone and he hangs up. But then someone calls back a few minutes later that can speak English, you know. And, oh, nice. And that happens occasionally. That the, kind of, the Portuguese will be the first to tell you that they have a very difficult language mm-hmm. to learn. They are very gracious to foreigners and accepting and helping along. And you'll find that 
in, in any business sort of related to service and hospitality because they deal with so many foreigners, not only is English spoken, but French and German and mm. Italian, they make it very easy for immigrants to mm-hmm. to have a soft landing. Right, right. And, and are you guys learning uh, Portuguese? Slowly, barely. <laughs> and, you know, and, and, and we'll be the first to admit, and it's a little bit from a place of uh, maybe guilt or shame, but <laughs> we kind of use the excuse, you know, we've been, there's been so much to adapt to, yeah. you know, in our yeah. first yeah. seven months, getting established and things like enrolling in healthcare and driver's licenses and yeah. establishing residency and, and buying a home and all of these things. We've used the excuse that once we get these things behind us, we're really going to focus on the language. Sam has been a little bit more disciplined than I have. He does some online language uh, courses. You go, um, Sam. But yes. I heard him correct me before he goes. I don't go Europe. far. I go, but I don't go far. <laughs> and you know what? At the end of the day, if so many people, well, and this is a crutch, right? Because so many people do speak English or understand English. It's just less of a goal, you know, or or less priority, I should say, less priority. Yeah. And and Portuguese is hard. I think Spanish is easier because I, I took a couple of years of Spanish and you read it the way you see it. I think with Portuguese, there's more je, 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 So <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and, and Sam speaks Spanish, so that has helped him a little bit. Just, yeah. you know, he recognizes some words and things. But it's different. What about the, what's the visa? How has yeah. your experience been with the visa and residency process? It was in, certainly intimidating in terms of uh, there's a, there is a lot to be done. There are a lot of T's to cross and I's to dot. And you want to do it really carefully uh, to make sure you don't have to repeat it again. But honestly... It was not rocket science. It was just attention to detail and making sure that you were very thorough in providing all of the documentation. And there are tremendous support networks of immigrants who have gone through the process before us. There is a particular Facebook group called Americans and Friends in Portugal that has an expansive file system that tells you everything you need to know, really walks you through it and has a a wonderful support system of people who can answer maybe more granular or specific questions for a specific circumstance that you might have. So we felt very supported all all along the way. And and I will say that, and this is kind of doing research on the broader idea of, of relocating to another country and the visa process, Portugal wants people to come to the country. They, it is one of those maybe few places left where they are trying to attract foreigners. They want immigration. And so several years ago, Portugal streamlined that process. They really made it more appealing and they gave incentives, you know, for folks like ourselves to move here. There were tax incentives for doing that. The process, like Sam said, it, it is a somewhat, you know, it, it requires, it's meticulous and there's a lot of T's to cross and dots, I's uh, to dot. If you follow the system, it's, you know, it's doable. It's very doable. It was actually a year, exactly a year ago, May of last year, that we began to really plan our visa application. We had read about it and kind of getting getting familiar with the terms, but it was May that we started collecting documents and then we we submitted August 1st. So we took four months, you know, to get three, three, four months to get all of our documents and the forms filled out before we submitted. 
but we got approved. We were approved in nine days and oh, you know, we were, fast. we were on our way after that. So. It was really at our retirement when we expedited our process because we had more time to get the work done. And so we moved pretty quickly from that point to pulling everything together for the process. Yeah. And how long is it going to take you to become a resident? We are residents now. Oh, wow. You get your visa. You are automatically given a residency appointment. When the visa gets returned in your passport, it's, you know, attached to your passport and it has your your date, your residency interview on that. And it's typically up two months. Lisbon, mainland, they're a lot more backed up. So some of those get stretched out. But for for Madeira, our appointment was exactly two months after we arrived. And we had some additional documents we had to provide. And we, you know, had, I wouldn't even call it an interview because it was really just a matter of exchanging, you know, the documents that we knew that we needed to have. And within a couple of weeks later, we received our residency cards in the mail. And that's our ID. And that's what we use, you know, everywhere. So <laughs> there, there are several asterisks to all of this, <laughs> which is there are different Portuguese consulates in the United States. <laughs> They process visa applications at different rates. Some of them are maybe more particular. Some of them stipulate in-person interviews, whereas we were we fell under the DC consulate. The entirety of the Southeast does. So it, clearly <laughs> not everybody can <laughs> manage to get to DC for an in-person interview. So we were yeah. able to mail ours in. DC is known for having the quickest turnaround ah. approval. So we were very fortunate in that. And then we also learned that in terms of once you're here, your residency can also be, things can vary because there are fewer people immigrating to Madeira than there are to Lisbon and Porto and some of the other expat areas on the mainland. Our process here was also much simpler than some of what we've read had been the experience of, of other immigrants in more heavily populated areas. Mm-hmm. Wow. So that's interesting. So would you say in general, there's less bureaucracy on Madeira than there is in the mainland? Our experience, certainly. Yes. Yeah. And the things we read online of, of what Americans are going through on the mainland. Oh, it, cool. it just seems it's it's more of a small town. Feel. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It, that's it. It's more people are more accessible and maybe more helpful in that regard. You know, it's uh, you might very well see that person behind the desk in, you know, in the grocery store as well. So mm-hmm. um, <laughs> I love it. You know, there's a little bit of familiarity there. Okay. That's nice. Yeah. So Madeira, you said it has a small town feel, but it is a city. Does it have the things that, that you expect from cities like museums, theaters, and things like that? It does. Definitely. It really does. Now that we're getting settled and we're getting a great friend network, you know, we're starting to expand a little bit more in terms of getting involved in what's going on. There are music concerts all the time. There are jazz venues and there are classic music concerts. Culturally, the culture loves to celebrate and, and has a lot of, you know, throughout the year festivals. There's literally a festival every month of the year on Madeira. The month of May, the entire month is probably the largest festival on the island for it's the flower festival. So they're celebrating, you know, this diversity of flowers that grow year round. Madeira, Nick, one of the nicknames for Madeira is the island of eternal spring. So this whole month, there's a giant uh, antique car parade going on this afternoon where they'll be incorporated. 
celebrating the flower celebration. As you walk around town, sidewalks will be lined with what looks like carpets of these elaborate floral designs, just function parades and a lot of things going on for the whole month. Just Make sure related. you take some pictures because we're going to ask you for that later. Okay, okay. <laughs> In, for Instagram. As, as Bill mentioned about our uh, initial two-week exploration when we spent those few days down in the Algarve and some of the smaller towns, what we were reminded of is European societies really celebrate culture in villages and towns and cities of all sizes. There is a public life that centers around cafes and parks and beautiful avenues that didn't make the you know, that, that America, frankly, does, um, does not have in most mm-hmm, places. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so that, that reminded us that we didn't need to live in Lisbon or Porto to have the things that we really value and that we wanted for ourselves in retirement. And certainly Funchal has that in spades. It has museums. It doesn't have grand museums like Lisbon or Porto. They are of a scale that is appropriate for a a city of 110,000 versus 4 million, Mm. but they certainly have them. And they have, there's live music every night, you know, at cafes and uh, on street corners and beautiful. And we do have our beautiful public parks and our our wide boulevards. And when you define culture broadly in that way, then all of the towns here have it in abundance, really. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And and I was just thinking, you know, as far as museums, Living in a European city that's 500 years old, I mean, <laughs> literally alone. walking around, it's almost like a living museum. I mean, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the architecture, the history that you're just surrounded with every day in itself, at least from a historical standpoint, architectural standpoint. Once we decided that we felt really committed to and comfortable on the island, that an island life was not a remote life, mm. then it, then the next question became where on the island do you want to be for us then because we do feel I think maybe more of an affinity to urban living Funchal was kind of the clear winner for us and Funchal is this kind of funky mix of as Bill was saying a very historic center you know with architecture that goes back and a history that goes back 500 years but then there's also this kind of Miami Beach vibe in the newer section that is the the Lido and the the hotel section where there are some very beautiful new hotels, but also some, you know, kind of (laughs) 1980s funky kind of thing. Yeah, orange carpeting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just, I just love that mix. I have to say, we feel like you've got the best of Funchal is multiple cities rolled into one in a way. Well, I got to tell you, you just made such a big sale for that city. <laughs> this is going to go global and global again. That was really <laughs> nice. I well, mean, I, I, not, I feel like I want to live there. That was, that was my, that was not my intention. You don't, <laughs> it's you don't want it. Nobody. Oh, nobody, stop. Stop. All right. I have some very important questions. We're going to talk about your new place, shopping. Do you need a car or is there public transportation? There is public transportation. There, it's, it's a bus system. You know, on the island, there's not 
There's not a train, a subway system or right, a right, train. Right, right. There is a, a bus system that, from what we understand, frankly, we've never been on it, uh, but from what we understand, functions really well, you know, around Funchal and kind of the, the larger metro area around the city and that we will, you know, we will learn how to use the system. We have decided, yes, we want a car. We've been here now seven and a half months and haven't had a car and we don't feel like we've suffered from that at all. The city is very walkable. Our new place where we have lived is in the heart of the city. Our new place is very walkable to all the amenities that that we need. The reason we want a car is because the island does have a much bigger, broader diversity that we want to be able to explore. There are over a thousand miles of some of the most incredible hiking trails that you can imagine in deep mountains that look like there, you're in the Rockies and we want to get out more. The, the North Coast is more of a green, mossy waterfalls, uh, you know, these incredible forests. And it's only from Fonchal, it's a 30 minute drive to the North mm. Coast if you go across the center of the island. So we can be there quickly, but you need a car, you know, to explore those kinds of things. And we've, we're fortunate that we have good friends that have cars. So we've been able to, you know, see a lot of that by hitching a ride. But but we want to be able to have our own, you know, right. freedom to do that. Yeah. yeah, we would do the same thing because you, yeah. know, you just want to get out there and go. But otherwise you can catch a taxi or, or if you wanted to. What do you do now? Yeah, absolutely. There are taxis because of the high level of tourism. Mm. I mean, there are taxi stands, taxi lines. Uh, oh, okay. Okay. Uh, because they're transporting people kind of to the hotel district, back to the to kind of the heart of Funchal. And then they, we don't have Uber here, but there is a similar system uh, called Bolt, B-O-L-T. Okay. So we have a Bolt app and we call Bolt oh, okay. to get a, quick, a short distance quickly. Okay. From your condo, can you just walk to a coffee house? Because that's my biggest thing. I like, I love hanging out in coffee houses. No, no, you, you can't walk to one, but you can walk to seven or eight <laughs> <laughs> funny guy you are yeah. a funny guy okay you know okay. And it's 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 interesting because new place is only sam hates when i use the word blocks because he said there are no blocks here but <laughs> in, in, in american terms our new place is about two blocks kind of off of the main kind of hotel tourist zone Oh, nice but it immediately moves into more of a residential local you know residential place yeah and our, and it has very much a, more of a neighborhood Good feel. Okay. But there are dozens. I mean, we've not even, we go yeah. to the new place every day and we yeah. kind of explore it as if we're living there, but then we come back sure. to this apartment. But there are just countless beautiful coffee shops, bakeries. We have bakeries and fresh fruit stands oh and, God. you know, and everything. We discovered a new pizza parlor the other day that really had a great pizza, really? which was fun. Uh, yeah. Just to get that every once in a while. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, very accessible from our. Okay. In all of our rentals, we we were able to easily walk to a grocery store. In our permanent home, mm. we will really not be able to do that. There is a small market in very easy walking distance, two, three minute walk from us, where we can do our smaller shopping and then take the car once every two weeks or so to stock up on supplies. But uh, there's a market and a fresh fruit stand in very easy walking mm -hmm. distance. And as mm -hmm. Bill said, bakeries for our fresh bread that, of course, we will mm. be required by law to have <laughs> at all times, fresh bread and pastries. Yeah. Yeah. And if there's a challenge, and it's worked for us, I mean, I think it's kind of what 
we wanted retire part to be a part of retirement. But if there's a challenge to living here and the walkability is that Madeira is very mountainous. And even with the city of Fonchal, the, the heart of the city is very walkable and fairly flat. But once you start venturing outside of the heart of the old part of the city, there's some steep hills. I mean, from our new place, we're getting, you know, hiking up, hiking, walking up sidewalks on the street. But um, Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, that's going to be like major exercise for me. So it is, which has been so good for us. <laughs> um, it's been so good because we are neither one exercisers, right? We never, we're not gem rats. We're not. And I tried to be one many times and it never, never worked. You mean um, you're not a Pelotoner? No, I Peloton. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I couldn't even spell Peloton. So uh, <laughs> I hate to think of the amount of money I've wasted on gym membership. Right, right. Please, please. Well, I'll tell well, you I, what I love is since I retired, my big thing is coffee houses. Mostly it's Starbucks because I will go there with my laptop and they won't even notice, me, you know, and I don't want to be noticed. I want to sit in the corner. I want to sit there, buy one cup of coffee, you know, buy a few pastries maybe along the way, get water. And it's so cool. I mean, that's the culture. But some of these other coffee shops, you can't go in with a laptop because they don't want you there for more than your cup of coffee. Uh, but I understand in Europe, it's expected for you to just kind of linger and right. I mean, there's no it's rush incredible. for you to go. It's incredible. The most challenging thing for you in that regard is finding someone to actually pay when you're ready to go. Because they are they are absolutely they are not going to bother you once you're settled in that's your table for as long as you want to have and what if that the is, place is small but what if there's not and they often are but it's, it's not about turning tables that is for sure and because i mean i can't tell you how many four-hour lunches we've had whoa and you see people sitting at a coffee they drink one espresso and then they're there all day i mean this <laughs> Yeah, those are little. I mean, I can't tell you how many lunches we have had where we started with this is not a complaint. This is just something we've learned about the character of, I don't know if it's all of Europe, but it's the character of the Portuguese, I guess. But we've had our server and we're done and our server is nowhere to be seen. And we wait and we wait and you, we may poke our head around. Our server is then typically in the back of the restaurant having his or her own lunch. And they're, they're <laughs> off the clock. They're done there's been like a changing of the guard that has occurred that we didn't know about and the server we thought we had is no longer our server <laughs> somebody knows how much money we owe so you you know you just oh, figure cool. it out but we've learned that you know when it's time to go if we need to go we go seek out someone to pay but don't expect for someone to come up to you every 20 to 30 minutes yeah. to check on you to see if you need to go that's <laughs> right, not gonna right happen. would you like something else <laughs> can it's, i help you speaking of servers, you don't tip there, right? Or is that not true? That, that's been an interesting evolution for us because coming, you know, as Americans, we just yeah. expect yep. to tip, right? And we appreciated the reason we tip, you know, that you tip and, and we were all for that, supported that. When we get here, you know, as we start talking to other expats and even locals, we've had some opportunities to talk to even some in the service industry here about that. Europeans typically don't, you know, tip. Mm -hmm. Apparently, you know, Portuguese don't tip, you know, as a culturally, they don't tip. In a place like Madeira, particularly Funchal, there is a level of, of restaurants or certain parts 
parts of town where most of the customers are visitors. You know, they are tourists. And so they may be used to some level of tipping just because people are used to doing that culturally. And so what we've kind of been warned against, though, and and kind of settling into is that, you know, there is an ecosystem, a cultural system that is not used to tipping or very small tips, you know, the extra change that's left over, you know, paying your bill, maybe a euro, you know, 50 cents or something like that is not an insult at at all. But what can happen, not unlike driving up real estate prices, where if if foreigners are coming in and they're tipping 20%, you know, as a foreigner, but the locals aren't tipping at all, it begins to change the dynamic of where you want to work, where the staff, you know, want to work, Mm. and then then how locals get perceived as not tipping. And so anyway, we kind of settled now as we've kind of solved advice on that, that 5%. If it's a small bill, we're just having a coffee and a pastry, we don't tip at all. If it's, you know, a small meal or something, maybe mm. 5% will tip, something like that. So is it just that part of the service industry? What about haircut? Other, not also not? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I... Again, this is maybe my American culture showing through. Yeah, but yeah. I do tip a euro when I get a haircut, mm. but my haircut is my haircut is is ten euro. So mm. I typically tip a euro. Okay. But I've I've gotten okay. where if I don't happen to have a euro on me and extra, yeah. you yeah, know, you don't feel bad. Mm. Then I don't feel bad, right? Okay. Wow, ten bucks for a haircut. And I, and I under, you know, and I understand that people, you know, all these people in the service industry all make it, you know, at the very least a minimum wage. Wages here, there is not such a gap between have and have not. There's not such a gap between the server at the restaurant and the veterinarian or the physician. So there is a livable way. The question is then asked, why are you, why do you feel compelled to tip beyond the livable wage that a Mm. person is already being paid, but you're not going to tip your physician or Mm. your veterinarian. And there may be only a couple of hundred dollars a month salary difference between them. Mm. So it's, it's interesting. We there's, we are learning so much culturally that is kind of changing that we are adjusting to gradually. Yeah. Okay. I have a question going back to cars. Where are you going to park your car? I mean, we're fortunate in our building. Uh, we have two parking spaces and in our apartment, our building has two penthouses in it and we have one of the penthouses and we have a park. I know it sounds fancy, but it's really, you know, <laughs> yeah, it just sure, means our, sure. it, it just means I our want part- photos. It just means our apartments on the top floor. So, <laughs> but there are two, the way the building is built, there are two top floor apartments. Mm-hmm. And so we got one parking spot literally right out our door. We walk out the lobby of the building and we have a spot there. And then there's a two level garage below the building and we have oh. a spot in the garage. So Nice. Nice. Wow! Yeah. In case it's parking nice. is a parking is valued here. <laughs> it is. is right. Oh, it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are public spaces for parking, but, you know, being an old European city, narrow street. Being expats, were you welcomed by the people in the, on the island? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We had never run into a situation where we felt like someone didn't want us here. And just the opposite, we are oftentimes met with almost a humility about, wow, as an American, you would choose to move, you know, to my Little island, like really, like they are so thankful for that. I mean, it just that I think there's a sense of pride in that that you know that others would see the value in their home, yeah, 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 part of that. And they, I think, also as Portugal, in a broader sense, as a country, recognizes the value of bringing people 
you know, mm-hmm. into the country. Portugal has had a shrinking population for many years. Mm-hmm. Because of it within European EU standards being a smaller economy and a more of a struggling economy, a lot of the young people, once they get educated, they go off into broader okay. EU. Mm-hmm. And so the population is shrinking, the population is getting older. And so Portugal's been really aggressive about trying to attract expats. So we we have always felt very welcome. We really have. Nice. Was downsizing an issue for you guys? I mean, I know that you met a number of years ago, not that long ago. So you had two homes and then I assume you moved in together. So that was one downsizing. Okay. All right. Take it from there. Downsizing. It's turning a, red, Bill. You must have down, a ton of stuff. Downsizing was a, a huge issue for us, actually. Bill lived in a studio. He, he had a beautiful loft, about 800, eight to 900 square feet. I had about 1,900 square feet on two levels. So it made sense that we move into my place. Yeah. When we did that, I had done a small renovation, the really kind of right before we met. But we did a second phase renovation that we spent almost a year on. We wrapped it up probably no more than six months before we left. So we had gotten wow. this. We had lived through a renovation, which was <laughs> you know traumatic enough to live in the renovation while it's and going so- on. And then we had this place that was just a dream. It was beautiful. You know, it could have easily been in a magazine. Fantastic. Loved it. And then we blow it up. You know, and we went through, you know, every five minutes, it was a question of, are we going to, you know, do a 20 foot container, a 40 foot container, bring all of our things with us to mm-hmm. Portugal? Does that make sense? Can you find a place that your belongings are going to work for in this unknown new mm-hmm. world you're moving mm-hmm. to? So as it turned out, the woman that bought our place wanted a lot of our furniture and that sort of mm-hmm. settled an issue issue for us in a way, but it was for me, maybe more than for Bill, a traumatic letting go of things to do this. And I feel you. I feel it. (laughs) It was... And even the, even the fact that we we are ending up shipping a very, probably what is a very small portion of a container. We wanted to bring our artwork, which is some of some of mine, some of his, some of ours, but it means a lot to us. And then beyond that, we kind of had some sentimental kind of memento stuff and our dining table and a dining table that was in a family business of from my family that went back a hundred years. Oh wow. Uh, so. So, you know, it was a is a very small mix of some sentimental things that we yeah. were bringing over. And then crazily, as it happened, the place that we bought, all of our furniture would have fit perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and it would have saved us so much money (laughs) to have brought it all over. Really? Even with Uh, the shipping? The shipping cost? Even with the shipping. Oh, man. What kind of furniture do you have? Again, because what you find on the island, it's a pretty limited selection. Yeah. And, you you know, it's again a moment where we have to remind ourselves that the majority of the population that lives here is either of a certain income or they are used to a certain European design design style. So there were some things that we were looking for that we couldn't find that we found on the mainland. You know, there's an additional cost to having it shipped over. So it just was a lot more, we we made it a lot more complicated because we wanted things a certain way. And that's, we're very fortunate 
at a, you know, at a retirement age that we both did well in our careers and we yeah. do this, that we're spending a little more than we needed to. And that's fine. It's our choice. Mm-hmm. But we, again, from that community of expats that we know, you know, through these Facebook groups, it has been incredibly diverse in how people have approached divesting themselves and coming over with no more than a suitcase or a backpack. And there have been people who brought everything in 40 foot containers <laughs> and, and everything in between. And mm-hmm. there's, you know, no shame, however you do it. It's what's right for you. And we, you know, we kind of did a little combo of both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we haven't received mm-hmm. our shit. Yet. Uh, it it arrived well it's in barcelona it's in, it was supposed to be in lisbon saturday but apparently it got lost and went to barcelona so uh, <laughs> it, it, it anyway, took a wrong turn it took a wrong turn at oh the straits of well um, if you wanted bought if you needed stuff uh-huh. does and i hate using this company but does amazon ship to funchal absolutely yes. amazon right. spain amazon yeah. germany yeah We've not used them yet, but we have friends that, that do use them all the mm-hmm. time. And we have friends on the island that said, look, if you want me to order something from, from you know, for you, because I have Prime yeah. and delivery, yeah. Yeah. You know, just tell me what you want and I'll order okay. it. But, you know, there's a uh, fabulous furniture in Italy. And yes. uh, I'm sure, I'm sure your style is included in there, Sam. Well, and there are actually some terrific furniture. So the, the Porto area is known mm-hmm. as the furniture making area region of Portugal and there's some fabulous furniture makers up in the Porto area and we've got some things coming from there and what we found through a Scottish friend of ours is a very economical freight forwarder in the Porto area so you can have things shipped from you know Scandinavian furniture you can have things shipped much more inexpensively from Scandinavia to this freight forwarder in Porto Mm -hmm. who will then and add it to his next shipment coming from Madeira. And it's much more economical than if we had had the manufacturer in Scandinavia send it directly. Okay, so I can get mid-century, nice mid-century if I want it. Yes? Okay. Mid-century is our style. Yeah. That's our vibe. And I found this amazing company online. It's a European-based company. Never used eBay, but in my mind, somehow I liken it to that in that Mm. this company is kind of the central base for, you know, the website and and listing these items. The sellers, maybe dealers, and I guess individuals are all over Europe, you know, that have items. This company, most of their stuff is mid-century modern, but you can find, you know, other, but it's everything from, you know, all household items. It's everything from, you know, lamps and and artwork and lighting to Mm. furnishings and rugs. What's the name? It's a P-A-M-O-N-O, Pomono, Pomono. Mm -hmm. And they have been fabulous. Now I've ordered several things. Something came, we have a rug coming from France. We had some chairs that came from Scandinavia, a console that came from Germany, and we shipped all of that. We had some more things coming. We shipped all that to (laughs) Portland. And they got delivered this week and, and it okay. all worked like hot work. Just super impressed. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, you know, that show House Hunters International. You yeah. Know, we, right. we, wa- we watch it. And some of these homes, well, almost all of them come furnished. Maybe you go there for a year or two and I'm like, oh, some of the stuff is just like, I'm sorry, but just. <laughs> oh. So, OK, enough of that. I think that's it. I think you guys have been amazing. Any words of wisdom for future retirees relocating? 
allow yourself to dream big. Think about the things that are important to you in your life that you value. If you mess up, you can always go back. Yeah. Yeah. Although you'd have to get your driver's license again, because I can't believe they make you turn that in. <laughs> a minor, a minor detail. You yeah. can get your. Yeah. You guys are brave. Okay, and and Bill. Yeah, I would just I, the thing that came to mind was that the process does look so overwhelming. It it really does. But when we broke it down one step at a time, this week we're going to you know work on this document, or we're going to get our fingerprints from the FBI, or whatever that task is. It's like the old saying: How do you eat an elephant? You know, one one bite at a time, right? <laughs> so. You you I take never heard that one. <laughs> have you not heard? Maybe that's not the elephant. <laughs> it was overwhelming. It looked that way when you yeah. look at it in a big you know picture. But as we walked the steps, it fell into place and everything got taken care of. And so it is doable. It's do- we are also, you know, you you started out early on, I think, that as you've gotten to know people through these podcasts, you find out they're typically just average people, just very normal mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. And we are very normal people, very and, average and, people. And honestly, <laughs> he's so average. <laughs> yeah, so uh, average. Uh, honestly, we're not that bright. So if we can do it, anybody can do it. Truly. Yeah, it's true. That's All right. true. All right. Very, very good. You know, once again, it's been a pleasure. A wonderful, beautiful. Yeah, thank you so much for your time. You. That was wonderful. And I hope we make it to Funchal. It sounds better than the other places in Lisbon that, uh, I mean, in other Portugal. places in Portugal, because we've interviewed a nice, couple from El- the Algarve. The last one was Sel- Selguero. No, oh, Vinhos. That was a little town, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Outside of, outside of, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. The honestly, a direct flight for you guys is not much different than you go into the West Coast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You're already where you need to be. Yeah, yeah. And the beauty is, we're only 20 minutes from JFK, so yeah. that's even <laughs> better. Go. So, oh, be listen. afraid, be afraid. We may come. <laughs> <laughs> uh, stay in touch. And have a wonderful, wonderful weekend and journey in Madeira. Okay. Bye, guys. guys. Bye, guys. We enjoyed it. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you know someone who's relocated for retirement and wishes to share their story with us, please reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Our email address is gg at retirethere.com. Our website is retirethere.com and you may follow us on twitter at retirethere underscore now if you've liked our show please subscribe and rate it in apple Podcasts. in the meantime be well be well